We just heard from the second chapter of the book of Jonah, and I actually think that this is one of the hardest chapters in this book. Because for a lot of people, we wonder, can we believe the story of Jonah? If we want to be smart, if we want to be intellectual, can we really believe that a man a long time ago was swallowed up by a fish and three days later was still alive? Um, under normal circumstances, we, we couldn't believe such a thing. But the whole point of the book of Jonah is that these are not normal circumstances. God is constantly reversing our expectations, and this story is constantly undermining what we expect to happen. So in the first chapter of this book, God speaks a, a word to Jonah saying to go preach in Nineveh, and he runs in the opposite direction. When he ends up on a boat with a bunch of pagan sailors, all of them actually worship God. They were supposed to worship many gods, but they worship Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. So when Jonah is swallowed up and we think that's the end of his story, there's no way he's getting out of it, our expectations are reversed. And for Christians especially, I don't think that we should dismiss this part of the story too quickly. At the center of our faith is the story of a man dying on a Friday, staying dead all Saturday, and rising from the dead on Sunday. If we dismiss the miraculous too easily, we don't just lose the story of Jonah, we also lose the story of Jesus. But however you understand the story of Jonah, whether you think it's historical or not, I think it bears so much weight about what we've been talking about when it comes to obeying God. Because we've been in a series called How Not to Obey God. This is the second installment of that series. And we've been looking at the life of Jonah to do the exact opposite of what Jonah does. And we know that if we do the opposite of what Jonah does, we're actually going to be closer to obeying God. He's not really a moral example. He's an anti-hero. And if we do uh, differently than him, we're actually going to be closer to what God wants. Because last week we saw in the first chapter of Jonah, he tries to run away from God. And he even tries to sabotage God's plans. Because when God tells him to go to Nineveh and preach judgment against that city, he runs in the opposite direction and he gets on a boat and sails on the Mediterranean Sea. And God uh, punishes him by sending a storm on the boat. And the pagan sailors are wondering what's going on, what should we do? And they asked Jonah, what should we do? And he says, you should throw me overboard uh, and the storm will stop. Now, this is not some act of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. Uh, Jonah wants to sabotage God's plans. Uh, he doesn't want to go preach to Nineveh because he thinks if they listen to his preaching, they might actually change and not get punished by God. So he wants to totally... Uh, uh, sabotage God's plans before they even get going. But in reality, God sabotages Jonah's plans. He uh, swallows Jonah up with this fish, and that's where we left off last week. Now, this week we read a prayer from Jonah from inside the fish. Now, um, it seems at first like Jonah is very grateful for God's deliverance, okay? He thought he was going to die at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, but God sends this fish and swallows him up, and it's going to save him. He uses words like, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, that actually sounds a lot like 
some of the Psalms of David. When David was delivered through difficult situations, he would write these Thanksgiving Psalms called Todah, and uh, they just demonstrated that God had worked through terrible situations and brought David out of them. So David would reflect with hindsight about how God had saved him. And even though this Psalm of Jonah sounds like that, it sounds like it's full of thanksgiving, you have to see just how out of touch Jonah's prayer is with reality. Because Jonah says, I will sacrifice to you, God, what I have vowed I will make good. Now, the problem with this is that in the first chapter, Jonah did not make any kind of vows to God, and he doesn't make any sacrifices. In fact, it was the pagan sailors on the boat who made vows to God and who made sacrifices to him. We actually see that Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 bears no resemblance to reality. It's actually what the pagan sailors did. So this prayer ironically shows that Jonah really isn't in touch with reality. He also focuses a lot on how God has punished him. He says, you hurled me into the depth, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down in the earth beneath, barred me in forever. So <laughs> Jonah is able to wax eloquent about the punishment of God and how God has treated him so far by throwing him into the sea, but he never once apologizes for what he did. He never once repents for his actions. He never once says that he's sorry for running away from God. Yes, in a sense, he is appreciative that God delivers him, but never once recognizes that he's done anything wrong. And he even goes a little bit further than that. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you. This part of the prayer is absurd. Jonah is acting like he's taking all the initiative and he's proactive and he is so pious when in reality, if anybody remembered, it was the Lord remembering Jonah. It was the Lord acting on behalf of Jonah. It was the Lord speaking to Jonah, not the other way around. But worst of all, I think verse 8 shows us just how out of touch Jonah really is. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. I think this is the most absurd part of the prayer, and it totally crosses from a thanksgiving prayer to something else entirely. Jonah, while being punished by God is criticizing pagans who worship false gods. And he's contrasting himself with them. He says, there are other people who cling to worthless idols, but I sacrifice to you, God. When this is absurd, if, if any verse describes him, it's the first part of this verse. He is the one who ran away from God and who turned away from God's love. He ran in the opposite direction of God. I think this prayer is an adventure in missing the point. Now, I'm not here to just criticize everything Jonah says in his prayer. The thing is, the prayer reveals something about Jonah's heart. 
it, it shows that he's self-righteous. He talks about all these vows and sacrifices he's made when he clearly didn't. It shows how oblivious he is to his situation and his own issues and just how unapologetic he is. And, and really, I think the best way to summarize it is that Jonah is playing a game of pretend. He is pretending that he was not in the wrong when he ran away. He's pretending that all the pagans are less pious than him. He's pretending that he has nothing to be sorry about. Whereas the whole point of his situation when he's thrown into the sea and swallowed up by the large fish is that he is called upon to repent, to change his ways. The Hebrew word for repent is teshuva, to turn away, to return to God. The Greek word is, is metanoia, to change one's mind. At this point, when he's in the belly of the fish, shouldn't he be thinking about how his mind and his heart should change? The whole reason that he was thrown into the sea was to take a second look at his own life, his own character, and his own posture. But he just seems to be the same man he was in the very first verse of the very first chapter. He doesn't like all these pagan Gentiles, but he is a good and righteous Hebrew prophet who worships the one true God. Now, one of my favorite preachers and theologians is named Fleming Rutledge. And in one of her sermons uh, that I just read recently, she talks about forgiveness and reconciliation. And she said that she, asks, uh, she asked two therapists in her church, what is the most important ingredient in a strong marriage? And she said that both said asking for forgiveness. Now, I just wanna note, they didn't say being forgiving, they said asking for forgiveness. And Rutledge goes on to say, I can't count the number of times in my decades of ministry that I've seen relationships break down because one or more people in the, those relationships refuse to repent and refuse to see that they had anything to be sorry about. This is Jonah's problem. This is our problem with God. We think, I have nothing to be sorry about. I didn't do anything wrong. I couldn't have contributed to the issue. This is not my fault. This is what we lack. We don't ask for forgiveness. We don't recognize our contribution to the problems in our relationships and especially in our relationship with God. One of my mentors actually did premarital counseling with Allison and I, and he said in his house they actually have a rule about asking for forgiveness. When you've done something wrong in his house, you have to say, I'm sorry, and you have to describe what you did wrong. And then when someone says that, you cannot say, it's okay, you have to say, I forgive you. And he told us, when this happens with y'all, you will feel the weight of the difference. Right, because we wanna say things like, well, I'm sorry I made you feel that way, or we wanna say, well, it's okay. We don't wanna pronounce forgiveness. But the problem with sin is that it's not okay. It's not okay when we wrong others. It's not acceptable or fine when, when someone wrongs you. The whole point of forgiveness is saying, yes, it was wrong, it was okay, and I'm forgiving you, I'm pardoning you, I'm absolving you. And here's the difficulty with asking for forgiveness. It requires strength. 
It's hard to say, I'm sorry I did this wrong to you. And it's even more true in our relationship with God. We don't want to ask for forgiveness. We want God to fix our situation without us recognizing we had a part to play in the wrong. Here's the thing. Prayer is not a way to get off the hook for sin. I love uh, reading David's Psalms. I've been, I've been doing that for the past few weeks. And so many of them are full of contrition and regret and shame and regret and, and failure and remorse. He keeps talking about all of this, uh, this emotional pain at what he's done to others. And that is crucial in prayer. It's not a way to get off the hook for sin, to not recognize the way we've hurt others and the way we've damaged our relationship with God. Prayer is the way that we confess we are on the hook for sin. We have done something wrong. It's not okay. Regardless of all of Jonah's pretending in chapter 2, in the very last verse, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. So even after that prayer, with all that self-righteousness and all the obliviousness to his own situation and the fact that he never once repents, never once apologizes, never once looks at his character, God delivers him through the depths of the sea and vomits him onto dry land. This is the whole point of this series. It's not just about obedience to God, though that is crucial. It's that God works with and through and despite disobedient people like you and me. He is going to work through Jonah, even when Jonah is full of pretense, even when Jonah is self-righteous and looks down his nose at pagans, even when Jonah is unapologetic, God will work with him. And we know from the next chapter that Jonah actually does end up going to Nineveh. He's going to obey God, and that is a step in the right direction. But here's the thing. His heart still needs work. The whole purpose of Jonah's story isn't, isn't to laugh at him and think how silly he is and how bad of a prophet he is. It's a mirror for us. Yes, it is important to obey God, but the deeper change of our heart and mind is what God is after. And, and if we really want to take a look into our own lives, and if Jonah is going to be a mirror for our story, we have to ask ourselves, have we ever begrudgingly obeyed God? Have we done what God has said while hardening our own hearts? Have we ever, yes, taken steps in the right direction, but while keeping our minds and hearts in the exact same place as they were before? I'm sure all of us have. I'm sure all of us have pretense. I'm sure a lot of us pretend when we pray to God. So let's stop pretending. Let's actually be honest about our own sin and failures and guilt. Because the three days in those fish for Jonah would have been a great time to wonder and ask, how did I get here? Why did God send a storm on my ship? Why am I cramped? in the belly of a fish. And you actually may have experienced at some time in your life, or maybe even right now, the kind of fallout and consequences of your sin. And this is the best time to ask, 
How did I get here? What have I done? What have I failed to do? How can I express to God my own shortcomings? How can I stop pretending that I am some spotless creature and how can I start confessing to God my sin? One practice that Christians have employed for this is something called the examine or the examination of conscience. The prayer was actually popularized by St. Ignatius of Loyola in his classic text, The Spiritual Exercises. And what he says is that at the end of the day, you can kind of pray in five steps. First, you remember that you're in the presence of God who loves you. Second, you recall two or three things in your day that you're grateful for and express that gratitude to God. Third, you review your day from start to finish, just thinking through what happened. And the fourth and fifth step are so crucial because they go together. The fourth step is sorrow. You recall your sins from the day and you express that sorrow to God and ask for forgiveness. But then the fifth step is just as essential. You ask for God's grace for the following day. And, and I just wonder, how would Jonah's story be different if he examined his conscience? How would his story have changed if he would have asked himself, how did I get here? How did I get in this mess? What have I done? What have I failed to do? What if he had gone through these steps and asked, what should I feel sorrow for? And then, how would chapters 3 and 4 of Jonah, how would they have been different? And what if we did this? What if we went through these steps every single day? What if we remembered the presence of God and showed our gratitude for him and looked over our days and asked, what should we be sorry for? What do we need forgiveness for? Because that's the example that Jonah shows us, how not to obey God. He pretends. He skips over step four. He doesn't ask what he should feel any remorse for. He just thanks God for delivering him, and he moves on. And yes, he takes steps in the right direction. He's headed to Nineveh. But what about his heart has stayed the same? That's the question for all of us. How is our heart going to change to be more like God's heart? How can our minds change to be more like God's ways of thinking? This story shows us we shouldn't pretend. God knows our hearts exactly as they are right now. But how can we ask him to change our hearts? Because he's going to work with and through and despite the disobedient. He's going to work with and through and for us and despite us if he wants to. So how in that process can God change our hearts and minds? That's the question for us.